You're listening to the Gospel Lens Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Gospel Lens Podcast. I'm your host Kevin and this is officially episode 1. I'm really excited to start this off and I really hope that this is a blessing to you the listeners and to me as well. So looking back at the last few months, I think it's safe to say or I think all of us would agree that it's been a really really crazy year. You know, even before Corona came into the scene, you know, we had rumors of war in January, we had nuclear attack rumors in January. We had um, wildfires and then of course the virus came and things got even more worse and life was just turned upside down. So right now, I think we've, we are seeing a lot of pain and anguish all around us and it's very difficult, especially as believers, to make sense of all of this and try to you know, answer very difficult questions or to see how God is you know, being sovereign in all of this. And it's not like suffering is new to us, it's just that you know, suffering has always been spaced out you, you have one or two events in a year, but 2020 seems like every day that something is going wrong. And it's, it's a very important question. What is suffering? Or why is there suffering in this world? Why is there evil in this world? It dates back to the Greco-Roman world, where the Greeks were probably the first people to pose this question. Problem of evil, the problem of suffering. And I don't think it's an irrelevant question. I think it's very fundamental and very, very important, simply because it's one of the most realist things I mean, suffering is is a certainty. Like they say, death and taxes is a certainty. Suffering is a certainty. It's as real as it gets. I don't think anybody has gone to live an entire life without going through some kind of pain or some kind of affliction. So it's such an important question. You know, it's not just a, it's not not just something that you know skeptics pose this question to, to sort of say, oh, this is why we don't believe in a god. You know, how can you believe in a God when there's so much of evil around us? But, you know, even Christians struggle with this. Christians have doubts. Believers have doubts. Especially if you're someone who's gone through suffering, you've lost someone you love, uh, you've gone through some physical or mental pain. It becomes very difficult to make sense of God in such very difficult situations. So, the misconception is that suffering is this unsolvable, mysterious and unanswerable question and unfortunately, some Christians resort to saying, oh, you just have to blindly believe in God. You can't make sense of this. You can't rationalize this. This is just unsolvable. There is no answers to this. You just have to believe, just blindly believe. Which is completely not true. I think it's not mysterious. And it's really, really simple. But yeah, I've encountered friends at school, atheists and agnostics, who pose this very question as why they don't believe in a God. They keep saying, you know, so much of evil. How can you believe in a God? And it's not just normal people. I'm talking about intellectual atheists, you know, evolutionists and Darwinians and people like Dawkins and Hitchens who pose this very question of evil and suffering as an argument in professional debates. So they keep saying, oh, you believe in this God of the Bible who's all merciful and kind in the New Testament. Just take a look at the same God in the Old Testament. He's commanding his people to commit genocide. He's commanding his people to go into war and kill and murder. How can you believe in this God? Or rather, there is a very obvious contradiction and hence your religion or your faith is a fairy tale. But this again is, is not having a complete or a proper understanding of, of, of scripture. 
and what the Christian worldview really says. And that's why especially skeptics just come out right off the bat thinking that they've got it all figured out and just say, oh, then explain suffering for me. You know, if you believe in Christ, explain suffering for me. So let's try to break this down. Is there really a contradiction in scripture? Is there really this incompatibility between God and suffering, right? So what is the question? The question essentially is, why does God allow suffering? Or a better phrased question would be, which a proper intellectual unbeliever would pose is, if God is all good and all just, how can there be suffering in this world? If God is all good and all just, how can there be suffering in this world? So the implication by the skeptic here is that there is a contradiction or there is a logical fallacy in this question. So the question can be broken down into two statements. Statement one would be God is all good and all just. And statement two is there is suffering in this world. So the skeptic is implying that these two statements are incompatible or contradict each other. For example, it's like saying statement one, Ben is married. Statement two, Ben is a bachelor. Obviously, both these statements contradict each other because Ben can't be married and a bachelor at the same time. So that's the same thing the skeptic is implying when they pose this question, when they say, God is all good and all just. That's what you say. But there is suffering in this world. So both these statements or both these parts of the question seem to contradict or, you know, be opposite to each other. But is that really the case? Let's, let's look at statement one. God is all good and all just and all sovereign. Of course he is. Right? Scripture is clear in that. The psalmist keeps exclaiming time and time and again of the Lord's goodness. We know that God is the judge of the world. So there's no problem with that. But what about the second statement? There is suffering in this world. And why does that contradict to the first statement? Because what the skeptic is trying to say or what we keep thinking sometimes is that suffering is unjust and suffering is evil. Suffering is an unjust thing that happens. It's, it's not supposed to happen. And this is the thing. God allowing suffering to happen is an unjust and evil thing. So if God allowing suffering to happen is unjust, then that's contradictory to his nature, which is good and just. So that's why there is supposedly this contradiction between God's character, which is good and just, and God allowing suffering to happen, which is supposedly unjust and evil. So the presupposition of the skeptic is that God decreeing or allowing suffering to happen makes him unjust, right? God allowing suffering to happen contradicts the goodness and the justice of his nature. But is that the case? So what does the skeptic or the Christian doubter mean when they ask the question or when they say suffering is unjust? Well, injustice is nothing but a lack of fairness. So that means suffering is unfair. Now, if you're saying that suffering is unfair, you're saying that someone is getting what they don't deserve. That's, for, that's what unfair means. That's what a lack of fairness means. You get something that you don't deserve or you're not getting something that you deserve, right? Now, is that the case? Is that the case? Now, let's take a hypothetical example, right? Let's take a hypothetical story or an example of a man named Jonathan. Jonathan is a faithful husband. He's a wonderful father. He's a hardworking middle-class guy. You know, everybody knows that Jonathan is nice and honest and very loving guy and very humble guy, right? So Jonathan happened to be next to the epicenter of the Lebanon blast. 
and Jonathan and his wife, his wife was expecting a son in two days. And of course, we know what happened. The blast happens and Jonathan dies. Now, if someone were to hear this story or were to hear this tragedy that happened, they would be like, oh no, what a poor thing to happen. That's completely unfair. You know, that's, that's such a sad thing to happen. And Jonathan did not deserve that. Jonathan did not deserve to die because as we established, Jonathan is a nice guy, wonderful husband, you know, wonderful father and all of this. He doesn't deserve to die. That's a very, you know, unfair thing that happened to Jonathan. That suffering which happened to Jonathan was unfair and he didn't deserve death. He didn't deserve death. He deserved to live. That is the perspective, right? Now, is that the case? Is that really how scripture talks about what man deserves and what man does not deserve? Let's let's take a look at scripture, right? Genesis 6, 5. Very familiar verse for some of you. And let's see what that has to say about man's nature and what they deserve or don't deserve. So this is basically God looking at the entire earth and he's scanning people and he's seeing. And this is what Genesis 6, 5 says. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So the thoughts of man was not only evil, his heart was not only evil, but it was evil continually. So that's very obvious that scripture here is saying that man was evil completely in his heart and his soul. And then it goes on to say that the Lord was sorry that he made man. And he says, I will destroy man whom I have created, hence the flood. So God punishes man or destroys man because he was evil continually, right? Now let's look at some another text, Romans 3, Romans 3, 11. There is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3, 12. There is none who does good, no, not one. Not some, but none, like zero. Zero people do good. Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not some, not few, but all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Now, these are like few verses from scripture and there are many from these few verses, we can clearly see that man is not partially, but totally corrupt and totally evil or totally depraved. There is no excuse here. So now if that's the nature of man, if man is totally depraved and totally corrupt, then what does he deserve? Let's take Romans 6, 23. And what does that say? For the wages of sin is death. Now here's man who is well established with just a few couple of verses, we see that scripture says that man is completely sinful and depraved and the wages of his sin is death. In other words, what he deserves for his sin is death. So scripture says that man deserves only one thing, which is death. So if there were two columns that we made, one column which is what man deserves and another column which says what man does not deserve, under the column what man deserves, death. Under the column, what man does not deserve, everything outside of death. Everything that we have other than death is all things that we don't deserve. So if you go back to the fall, you go back to the fall of Adam and Eve's sin. And this is a question that is very frequently asked. And, you know, Asi Sproul, a great preacher and theologian, um, who is one of my favorite preachers as well. You should listen to him if you don't. Um, in one of his Q&As, a man comes up to him and asks this question. Why did God punish Adam and Eve so severely for such a small sin? And Asis Prol just gets furious and he says, what's wrong with you people? And he says, 
The question isn't why did God punish Adam and Eve so severely? The question is why didn't he punish them infinitely more severe? Because what does scripture say? Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. God clearly said that if you eat of the fruit of um, knowledge of evil and good, you're going to die. But then Adam and Eve don't die. In fact, God clothes them. He shows mercy. He shows grace. He gives them clothes. He gives them shelter. He gives them food. And subsequently, all the seed of Adam get even more blessings. In fact, we are all the seed of Adam and we have a house. We have this you know, wonderful life. We have a car. We have blessings beyond imagination. You have to understand every single one of these things are things we don't deserve. Because what does scripture say is the only thing that man deserves? Death. That's it. There's nothing else that comes under the column what man deserves. The only thing that comes there is death. So everything else other than death is things that we don't deserve. Like right now I'm sitting at a table. This table I don't deserve. The food that you eat you don't deserve. When we sing songs like it's your breath in my lungs, you know, literally it's only God's breath. Because the breath that we breathe is also grace. So if tomorrow I wake up and if I get up and stub my toe at the foot of my bed and I cry out, OMG, right? Which is using God's name in vain, which is against the third commandment. I'm supposed to drop dead. But I haven't dropped dead. I've used God's name in vain many, many times. And I'm not dropped dead. For every lustful thought or every wrong thought that I, that I or anybody does, we're supposed to drop dead. But we don't die. We keep living. And not just keep living, we keep getting blessings. You know, we, we are giving education. We have so many gifts of life, nature. We have the blessings of goods and consumerism. All of these wonderful things we, we have and none of these things we deserve. Because again, what does scripture say? The only thing that you deserve is death. So going back to the hypothetical situation of Jonathan, who is this wonderful father, wonderful husband, hardworking guy, everybody thinks he's really nice. Right? And he might be a very nice guy who dies in the Lebanon blast. Well, he deserved that because he's a sinner. He deserves that. The death he got, he deserves that. The family that he had, that he doesn't deserve. Because that's a, that's a blessing. That's grace. That's what something that God gave that he didn't deserve. See, we need to understand what grace means. Grace is unmerited favor. There is no merit on man's part upon which you get all of these things. You know, from the smallest of things, you know, the pen that you hold, the bed that you have, even the land that you're able to stand on, you're supposed to sort of, the land is supposed to open, you're supposed to be swallowed because of your sin. You can read number 16 for more on that. But yet we have the audacity to say, oh, what an unfair thing to happen when someone dies. I'm sorry, but all the people who died in the plane crash in Calicut, they were all sinners and they deserve that. They deserve death. Right? It doesn't matter how you die. You know, even if you die a gruesome death, you have to understand you don't deserve life in itself. You're supposed to drop dead the moment you sin for the first time. So that's a long time back. So in other words, it's a delayed justice that God is somehow being patient with us and is not giving us what we deserve, which is death. So think of it like a courtroom scene. And God is this judge. Think of a courtroom scene where there's a judge and there's a criminal. And the criminal comes up front. He has all these crimes against him. And what will a good judge do? A good judge will send him to death because that's what the criminal deserves because of his crimes. If a judge just lets him go and says, you know what, I'm just going to give you a pass. That's not a good judge. That's not a just judge. That judge would be all over the news. People would be screaming at him. It's the same thing here. God is the judge of this world. 
here we are sinners who are criminals who have all these crimes against us and god supposed to give us what we deserve which is death for our crimes but somehow he keeps delaying that he keeps prolonging that and upon which beyond which we get other blessings and other you know perks and not just believers i'm talking about every man on this world and the sun shines both on the just and the unjust and yet we have the audacity to say a person who dies in a plane crash or in a car accident or through cancer they didn't deserve that they deserve that see the problem is and this is the problem this is the problem the problem is we think that bad things happen to good people what good people what good people are you talking about we think bad things happen to innocent people what innocent people scripture is really clear we just read a couple of verses romans 3 there is no one is good none zero all have fallen short of god's glory all there is no one is good so yes i would you know put my hand down and say god is evil and unjust if actually bad things happen to good people i would i agree with you that's unjust that's very difficult to grasp i can't believe in such a god but where are good people there are no good people because bad things don't happen to good people bad things happen to bad people in fact bad things happen to really really bad people right you you deserve more than all these small small supposed sufferings that happen to you but yet we have the audacity to question you know god's sovereignty see the, the thing is suffering does not god allowing suffering to happen does not make him unjust it makes him just you know all the people who died through covid they deserve that because again it's not a horizontal morality is very easy to say oh i'm not as bad as that guy i'm not as i'm not a liar like him i don't steal like him i'm not a rapist like the guy in the news where it's not a morality that is compared between man to man it's man and god it's a vertical morality and when you look at that god is perfect in 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 holiness and righteousness and man is just not there's this huge chasm between god's holiness and man's absolute sin like if you're in god's presence right now you would dissipate you would dissolve like you would go back to dust just because of his holiness but we don't understand that we you know we fail to understand that. and this is the problem with the modern day believers all around because the moment we understand that we know that if tomorrow i die or somebody dies we know that that's that's what they need to get so suffering does not make him unjust if suffering is what people deserve if death is what people deserve and god is giving them what they deserve then how is it unjust how is it unfair because the only thing that they deserve is death and that's what they get in fact they get it much later than they should have and still we have the audacity to question god this creator of the universe the heavens and the earth so like if someone loses their hand and they say oh that's a unfair thing to happen to him they don't deserve the hand in the first place you don't deserve your body you're not supposed to live you know once again what you deserve is death so it's like if i give you a gift if i gave you a gift out of just favor and just because i desire to give you a gift and after some time i take back that gift from you would that be unjust from my part would that make me evil no it's a voluntary thing that i did and you didn't deserve the gift that's why it's called a gift and that's why i gave it to you and i can decide when i can take it when i can give it back it's all up to me because it's grace there's no merit on your part to deserve that gift that's why it's called a gift and so the next time something bad happens or next time something bad happens to you or you see great suffering around you know, the news channel keeps reporting things that keep happening every single day 
Keep in mind that all of these things is God's wrath pouring upon a wicked, wicked world. These are all things that we deserve. We deserve infinitely more. And that just sort of diffuses this question of why is there suffering as well or it diffuses the fact that there is a contradiction between God's nature and suffering. Because if God is good and if God is just, well, there should be suffering in this world. There should be wrath poured out. There should be death because that's the only thing that we deserve. Now, mind you, I'm not saying we shouldn't empathize with suffering. I think there's a fine line between accepting truth and understanding truth. It's very difficult to accept suffering and especially if it happens to us. But it's not a problem in rationalizing it, in making sense of it, because God and suffering is not incompatible, it's perfectly compatible. And it shouldn't be a bothering thing to us. But there's another way to look at this, right? Because what do we mean when we say that God is good? We really don't understand that. We sing songs like God is good all the time. We sing good, good father. But if you really understand when scripture says God is good, we would know that this in itself diffuses the supposed contradiction between suffering and God. Let me try explaining this through two deductive thoughts to show what actually scripture means when it says that God is good and how we misconceived it and we have understood it wrongly. So the first deductive thought goes something like this. Statement one, saving a girl from rape is good. Statement two, God saves a girl from rape. Statement three, hence God is good. Let me repeat that. Statement 1. Saving a girl from rape is good. Statement 2. God saves a girl from rape. Statement 3. Which is the conclusion. Hence, God is good. Now, when you listen to this for the first time or superficially, you might think, you know, what's wrong with this? You can probably even pause and think about this. What's wrong with this? This seems proper. This seems fine. You know, this seems perfectly logical and that's what scripture says, right? This is why God is good. See, this deductive thought shows that God is good because he does a good deed. In this case, the deed is saving a girl from rape. So if God is good because he does good deeds, that means goodness exists outside of God. So God is dependent on the goodness of the deed to make him good, which is completely fallacious and pretty blasphemous if you ask me. Because that's not what scripture means when it says that God is good. Because if goodness exists outside of God, then evil also exists outside of God. And God is dependent on the goodness and the evil of, of the deed to make him good. And God is not intrinsically good. It's just God doing good deeds that make him good. Now that's really problematic. This might get clear when, when we look at the second deductive thought, which goes something like this. So this is the second deductive thought. Statement 1. God is good. Statement 2. God saves a girl from rape. Statement 3. Hence, saving a girl from rape is good. Let me repeat that. Statement 1. God is good. Statement 2. God saves a girl from rape. Statement 3. Hence, saving a girl from rape is good. You notice the difference? The second statement and both the deductive thoughts were the same. But the second, second deductive thought started with God is good. And the second deductive thought shows that the deed becomes good because God does it. So here's the thing. Here's the thing, right? God is not good because he does good deeds. Deeds become good because it is done by a good God. Let me repeat that. God is not good because he does good deeds. Deeds become good because it is done by a good God. See, goodness does not exist outside of God. God is the very goodness. God is the very good. So that means whatever God does, because God is intrinsically good, 
whatever God does becomes good. It's not that God does good deeds and that's what makes him good. God is essentially good. That's it. That's the foundation. The foundation is not something being good. The foundation is that God is good. And whatever flows from God in terms of action and whatever act he does, because he's intrinsically good, that act becomes good as well. See, the problem is we go from small to big. If tomorrow you were walking down the road and you saw an old man getting hit by a car, immediately you know what we would do? We would look at that accident that happened and we would define morality for ourselves. We would define that as good or bad and probably we would define that as a bad thing or an evil thing that happened. Then correlate that to God and say, God allowed this evil thing to happen and hence God is evil. We're going from small to big. We're defining morality on our, on, on our own terms. That's not how it works. But the way it should be is that we witness this accident. We understand that God is good. And whatever flows out of a good God or whatever flows from that which is good is good. So God who is good allowed this thing to happen and so the accident is good. See, Just because you don't have the knowledge or you are a finite being and you don't understand how this accident fits into the grand scheme of things and makes it actually good doesn't mean that it is not good. You know, it's like you, you, you peep into a room through the keyhole and you see only a chair. And you just make the assumption that the room only has a chair. When in fact the room has multiple chairs and a piano and a drum set. But because you only peep through that keyhole and you only see a chair, you make the presumption that there's only a chair in the room. That's what we do. So the problem is we go from small to big. We need to understand that God is intrinsically good and what flows out from that which is good is good. So God is not good because he does good deeds. Deeds or acts or events become good because it's done and allowed and decreed by a good God. So that completely diffuses this problem of suffering and evil. There is no contradiction because everything that happens around us, everything that happens around us, even if we think it's bad, it's good because it's flowing from a good being, a good God. Because God is intrinsically good. God is not good because he does good deeds. Everything that happens around us is good because it's flowing from a good God. Like if there was a personification, like there was a form of goodness, if goodness could take a form, that would be God. So whatever flows from God is good. See, God is a standard of morality. God is a standard of good and bad. So whatever he wills or whatever flows out of him because he's intrinsically good becomes good. So even if you look at a car crash or even if you look at some of our loved ones getting cancer and if we think it's bad or if we think it's unfair or evil, that's because we have limited knowledge. We don't, we don't understand how it fits into the grand scheme of things. And that's why we need faith to understand that because a good God is allowing this to happen, this is a good thing. You know, I always use the example of a dentist. When we go to the dentist, right, the immediate aftermath of going to a dentist would be a lot of pain. Or most of the times, right, if it's like a root canal or something which is very painful. And when the doctor is doing his stuff, when he's operating your teeth, it's going to be painful. But nobody says that that's a bad thing. Nobody says that's an unfair thing. Because you know that even though that you're going through a little bit of pain right now, even though it seems unfair, even though it seems painful, even though there's a lot of anguish that you experience, you know that the doctor is doing this for your greater benefit or your long-term gain for your health or for your dental hygiene. Hence, we don't question going to the dentist. We don't say, oh, that's an evil thing to do. Sue the dentist. Put him in jail. 
we know that he's doing that for our own good and even though that short period of visiting the dentist might be painful or or really difficult to grasp or you know something that's very stressful for some people we know it's only for our benefit it's the same thing you're dealing with an infinite being you might not understand how it pans out and most of the times we don't we can't make sense of you know terrorist attacks you can't make sense of sudden deaths you can't make sense of not getting things that you want but you have to understand all of it all of it is good because it's flowing from a good god because he is the good he is the very goodness goodness does not exist outside of him and that's what we need to rest on that's the faith we need to have again it's it's very difficult to accept sad things happening around us but it shouldn't be a problem rationalizing it because there is no problem in com- combining or connecting god and suffering because everything that happens around us is sovereign because it's flowing from a good and just and righteous god you know it's like how asi sproul puts it right the only time a bad thing happened to a good person was only once in history and that too only because he volunteered and that is jesus christ i mean look at christ and what he did for us all the pain that you went through all the suffering that you went through if you look at that in isolation you would say oh that's so unfair or all the humiliation the pain the physical and the mental pain and of course absorbing the wrath of sinners on the cross all of that is unfair but we know that is leading to a greater benefit we know is leading to a greater hope and the escape of many 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 people from the wrath of god and hence we know that that suffering is not unfair or unjust or evil because it's for the greater benefit so just because we don't understand something and how it plans out or how it's fitting into god's grand scheme of things we shouldn't label it as good or bad because we don't have any morality of our own our standard of morality is god and god's morality is laid out in his word and that's where we get what is good and bad from not from our own brains not from our own reasoning and thank god for christ because if it wasn't for its death we would get what we deserve which is death and not just death but the second death which is eternal separation from god because of our sinful state you need to keep reminding ourselves that the only thing we deserve is death the chair that you sit on the air that you breathe the food that you eat the pen that you hold the pillow that you have the friends that you have the family that you have you know the different consumer goods that you consume all day every day all are blessings and if it wasn't for christ if it wasn't for his death on the cross and him absorbing the wrath of the father on the cross and him living the righteous life that you and i couldn't live we wouldn't have a living hope because salvation is by grace through faith and in christ alone and so every time that you know things get hard especially during this lockdown you know it's very clear how all these blessings when it's taken away from us we start understanding how we don't deserve any of these things But every time things start getting tough we need to understand that even though these things seem evil or unjust to us it's not because one we don't deserve anything else and two because it's flowing from a good god so i hope these two perspectives has given you some understanding or has made some sense on how we can really reconcile god and suffering and again the only hope is christ and it's the same thing right every time we go through something which is terrible every time we see bad things happening or i mean really difficult things happening around us go back to the word try to reconcile it with scripture go back to the throne of grace and plead out and cry out to him suffering has a purpose because it's flowing from a sovereign god 
who has a predetermined calculation of how all things should pan out for his glory and his glory alone. So that's pretty much it. And I guess that's going to help us. I guess that's will be something that you can think about and it's going to give you some answers and solutions to things that you might be deliberating on because these are things that even I had to come to learn and it really you know opened my eyes to to this whole conundrum of suffering and god because there isn't one and god is you know just in all that he does i'll leave you all with something which asius prol says quite often and this is what he says the suffering of the christian or anyone else in this world is never ultimately an accident all suffering is within the pale of divine sovereignty all suffering comes within the broader context of the sovereignty of god god allows suffering to come into our lives to refine us as it were to teach us how to be more and more dependent on him i hope that helped and i hope this first episode was an eye open unto you it's been a blessing for me and i really hope that it gives us answers it gives us solutions and it encourages us to discuss about these things more and more so that's about it subscribe on spotify on anchor and every other podcast platform follow the gospel lens podcast instagram page and keep coming for more and i'll see you next time